Welcome to the Deeper Life Bible Study, coming to you from Identity Church in Deltona, Florida. Now let us hear the expounding of the Word of God, a now word for this moment. So grab your Bible, sit back as we delve into the Word of God, and hear the Logos and Rhema Word. Alright, well good evening everybody. Um, I'm back from Mexico. About I've not even been home 24 hours yet, but here I am. So, uh, good to be home. It was a great trip. And I'm trying to figure out, do we tell stories tonight or do we teach? I think we'll do a little bit of both because I got both ready. Um, this is a much different trip. To t I was in Mexico at Senda de Vida, uh, which is a mission outpost down there that reaches out to refugees. It's affiliated with Rusty and Belinda Owens. And uh, it was a good trip. This was a ministry trip. It was an evangelism outreach trip. The trip I went on in December, January was a build trip. We built houses. So I will say this one was a little more suited to my gifting. Um, it was a little less wear and tear on my body. Uh, well, eating wasn't, eating was okay. You don't go down there for the food. Um, although I did have mole chicken in a village on the beach and I survived. So, um, went native one day and, uh, so, I've got some notes here. I've got teaching. I think I'm going to start by talking about this concept of, okay, when I was down there the first trip, I helped with um, Rusty. We kind of did a free-flowing song, and it was about the spirit of Renosa. The spirit of Renosa is in my heart. And that is something that clung to me. I had a little mantra you could consider a prayer or a chorus, and it was, Spirit of Renosa is in my heart, kill my flesh, clear my soul, raise my spirit man up to go. And that's basically what I think that first trip for me was about. This trip was more about soul and spirit man than flesh for me. And uh, I was sitting in a hotel room in Texas waiting to get picked up the day before, and Someone on, I had said something about the spirit of Renosa on Facebook, and somebody said, what is that? Like, and it was a person who was Pentecostal, so, you know, are they thinking it's like spirit, Jezebel spirit, or uh, whatever, you know, and this is a term I made up. What it, what it means to me is the spirit of Renosa is like the essence of that area. What, what is the atmosphere like there? What was the vibe of Renosa? That, that's what I meant by it. I didn't, I don't mean that there is a quote unquote spirit. Um, so I asked myself, and I was preparing a message that I was going to preach down there. <clears throat> well, what is the spirit of Renosa? And I prayed about it. And I was had worship music on, I was just journaling. And I said, the spirit of Renosa is hope in the midst of a fallen and hurting land. The spirit of Renosa needs to be nurtured and blown on by God's grace. God's people, whether they be Mexican, USA, or refugee, need to rise up and band together. Do not leave to kings what is your responsibility in prayer and in action. The kings don't always get it right, as we are now witnessing. Because the problems that we have on the border down there are being totally aggravated, not only by our own government, but by the Mexican government and by the Honduran government. 
nobody's doing their job right, in my opinion. But we're not going to get too far off on that. Really? Yeah. Right? No. But I got, I got like facts. I saw it firsthand. The mess. So then I prayed about it, and I was like, what is the spirit of Renosa? The spirit of Renosa is a blue spirit. So I got in prayer, and I go, what the heck's that? Well, from a color standpoint, I saw that color as I prayed for the city. Well, blue signifies the celestial love of truth. Blue skies, life-giving air, hope, good health. God's truth is blue, derived from his love. I'd have to look it up again real quick, but I got a scripture reference of Ezekiel 27, 7, and 24. Let me see if I can... I don't have that marked, but let me get there real quick. All right, Ezekiel 27, 7. Of fine embroidered linen from Egypt was your sail, serving as your banner. Blue and purple from the coasts of Elisha was your awning. And this is a, a paragraph, a chapter in Ezekiel where it's called a lament for Tyre. Chapter verse 24 says, In your market, these traded with you in choice garments, in clothes of blue and embroidered work, and in carpets of colored material bound with cords and made to secure. The ships of Tarshish traveled for you with your merchandise, so you were filled and heavily laden in the hearts of the sea. And then I started, I asked, you know, like I kind of went on in prayer about it, and is there like a blue flower that's important in Mexico? No. But the state flower of Texas is the blue bonnet. So it just kind of like, with that being a border area, it kind of kind of came together for me on that. So it gave me a little more meaning about what was go what spiritually is going on down there. Um, talking about the atmosphere, we were there for four days on the ground, full four full days, and you know a travel day on each end. So you're in the kind of there for like five days, I guess. And uh, first two days we were on home turf. We were in. Senda Davida, and we were at March 23rd, both friendly places, both places where we have strong relationships. Really wasn't like much presence of evil on those days. It was pretty easy. And then on Monday, we went for a three and a half hour drive to a place called La Playa Baghdad. La Playa Baghdad. And it's on the coast, it's right on the Gulf of Mexico, it's a fishing area. It's advertised as a tourism area, but I think we missed that part of town. And um, on the way, so we had four delays on this day to get to do what we wanted to do. The devil tried four times to stop us. First, we had a, a school bus full of people. Our, our mission team was on the school bus along with some close family and friends of Hector. We had, a lot, we had kids with us. We had... Pastor Miguel from March 23rd was with us with his extended family. He was in a bus, excuse me, he was in a van with his worship team. And this was true community outreach. We, he had speakers. He had everything to do his worship team in that van. 
along with several people. I don't know how, what they were sitting on. It was a, that was packed. And then in our in the bus, we had cases of tomatoes and vegetables, and we didn't have any live chickens or anything. But we we had everything else but the kitchen sink in there. And um, and then I don't know, fifteen twenty people, and kids. And the kids were going nuts. They were having a ball. Um, so for the locals that went with us, you know, this was kind of like a little mini vacation day. I mean, it was fun for them. It was a good experience for them. They, they've been before. And uh, so we get partway there, and the van has a flat tire. So we're rolling to Metamoros, Mexico, which is a nice city. There's everything there. There's Walmart there. There's all sorts of American-looking stuff there. And we got to buy tires. So that was the first delay. We bought tires. One of the guys from the mission team paid for the tires, and we got back on the road. So that delayed us like a half an hour or so. So then we get to La Playa, Baghdad, and when you come up the road into La Playa, Baghdad, there's this huge arches, and it says, Welcome to La Playa, Baghdad, on it. And underneath the arches was four Mexican Marines locked and cocked with automatic weapons, and they weren't letting anybody in. And so we're like, what's this? Is it COVID? What is it? <coughs> and they weren't letting us in for sure. And they weren't letting very many cars in. once in a while they let a car and they were turning most cars around and making them leave. So the answer we got was there's too many of you. I'm not going to let you in there. So I don't know if it was COVID related or if somebody was just being a pain in the butt. So we're like, this is where I learned that God doesn't need a plan B. That's what I learned. I learned it the hard way. So we're there like a half an hour. Hector's talked to people. He, he got on a phone with somebody. We, we don't know who he's talking to. And two of the soldiers leave, but they're still not going to let us pass. You know, here we drove three and a half hours. We got a bunch of people that want to serve God. And we got a truck full of food. And I said, well, what's plan B? Hector just kind of looked at me like he didn't even answer me. He was just hold tight. Well, what we didn't know is he was talking to the general in Reynosa, who is probably over that whole area, who has his personal number and his cell phone. That's how connected he is. And it took a little while, but that general figured out where they were and got a hold of the captain that was one of those four soldiers, and we got our clearance to go in. And um, probably that captain got his butt chewed. Um, I don't know that. And uh, so that was delay number two. And then, um, I'm going to get that, is that right? Is that number two? Yeah, that's number two, I think. Yeah, that's number two. And then uh, we get in there, and either right after we went through the checkpoint or just before, the van got a flat tire again. One of those new tires, one of those new used tires that we spent money on went flat. Well, the valve stem was bad. So he had to get that fixed. So here we are. We're doing community outreach. We don't have a worship team with us now. So we get there, we do, we have lunch, we do the food, hand out the food, except for the giveaway stuff. We stocked their community kitchen and um, the band shows up, they're getting ready to do worship and we begin the service. And in the middle of the service, a group of people walk into the service and an argument breaks out in the middle of the service of local people. We don't really know what the argument was about. 
Uh, it was a bunch of women arguing, and there was a couple of men, so we kind of figure there's got to be a relationship issue here, more than likely. So that was delay number four. It didn't shut down worship, but it certainly uh, kind of put a hiccup in it for a few minutes until they got them out of there. And then we finally got to the point where the gentleman, the other team member, uh, Jeremy, preached, and uh, that went well. And, you know, we finished up, and so we're riding home that day, and we just talked about, you know, look at, and, and there was definitely, outside of those interruptions, there was a presence of evil there. I mean, you could sense it in the atmosphere. There was some men who, you know, they were roaming around. You could just tell by looking at them. They weren't happy that we were there. You, you could just sense it. So that was definitely a different atmosphere than we had. Everything went smoothly on the way home. Um, but yeah, I learned that day that God doesn't need a plan B. He just wants you to stick with plan A long enough that you get plan A done. So that was Rodney's life lesson on that day. And um, the last day we did a, um, we didn't have a lot of plans. We were going to be at Senda de Vida. We were going to minister there. Hector wanted us to go to the border. So we went, we, we made plans. We thought we would, when you come across the border in Reynosa by car or by foot over the bridge, you come out into like a central plaza. Well, this central plaza is also where some of these refugees would gather because they don't have any place else to go and they don't know what to do and they can't get across the border. So there's always a group of people there. So the plan was to go there and feed and so we took our time during the day. We had other things going on, but we gathered our stuff. We made goodie bags. We made 50 to 100 ham and cheese sandwiches, which meant we went to the grocery store and bought the supplies and did all that stuff. And about 4.30, we rolled out, and we went and uh, we, we went down to feed. It's only 10 minutes from the place, from where we were staying. And so we are uh, get down there, and there's, there's about, I don't know, I'll say Let's just say 75 people. I say 50 to 100. We didn't get a head count. Families, single people, lots of kids. And there's a ministry team there all wearing blue shirts with lettering on them. And they're doing like a kids' church service. And they're giving out PPE, giving out masks and hand sanitizer. They had bottled water. They didn't have any food. And so we politely walked up behind them. And one of our leaders got their leader's attention and asked, could we join in with you? We don't want to step on your toes or anything. We want to do this the right way. So we had kingdom working right there perfectly. And they said yes. You know, they were excited. So we let her do her, the lady that was leading it, we let her do her thing. And then she introduced us and said, these people are going to feed you. She turned it over to one of our leaders, a Spanish-speaking woman, who then took it on and did her spiel to the kids and the families. And then we gave everything out. So it went really well. It was all, it, it actually looked like we were supposed to be there together. And, um, but in the midst of this, something is happening. Two things happened that I, one thing I was involved in and one thing I saw. So I'd gotten done handing out stuff. And to be honest with you, my knees were killing me. And so I just wanted to go sit down. I went over and found a ledge. I sat on a ledge and I just started watching what was happening from a little bit further away. And I was praying, and I got really convicted, and I got really emotional. And I ended up praying for repentance for our government, for what they're doing on the border, because the governments are what's creating this. The American government's policies, to be honest with you, in my opinion now, in both 
of the administrations, this one and the last one, created problems. The Mexican government is creating problems by trying to ignore the problem. And the Honduran government is creating problems because most of these people are Hondurans that are there. And um, they really just, they really kind of wrecked me. And um, so then off to the side, there's a pretty intense conversation going on involving our leadership and another guy who was, I think, part of the other church's leadership. And they're talking about two, two girls, a lady, a mother, and a daughter. The mother was probably around 25 to 30. The daughter was in her teens. And basically, these two ladies needed rescuing. They were there. They had no papers. They weren't in the country legally. They had been robbed. They were ripe for getting kidnapped by the cartel and being sex trafficked. That's what the whole concern was. Well, we could not just put them in our van and drive away with them, or we could get arrested for smuggling or, sex tra or human trafficking ourselves. And the Senda de Vida doesn't work that way. Senda de Vida is a walk-in place. You don't, he does not go get people and bring them in. So I'm not sure how much of this I should say and be on the air, but it all worked out. We worked with immigration, and we got them to Senda de Vida. Let me just say it that way. I'll leave out some of the details because we're on video. But um, we thought we were going to the border that day to feed and people and give outreach, I felt like we were on a God assignment to rescue those two girls. That's what we were there for. So in, in literally 20 minutes time, these two young ladies' lives were forever changed. And they got to send to Vida. They were given bags of clothes. They were given some food items. They got a hot, they got a hot meal that night. They were given bunks next to each other in the woman's dorm, which is safe. And their life now has a new chapter. Where it will go, I don't know, but it has a new chapter. And their names are Gladys and Everly. So if you want to keep Gladys and Everly in your prayers, that would be awesome. So for me, all those other things I talked about were great, including me preaching and my message and all that. But for me personally, that was the highlight and the most emotional part of the trip for me. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's kind of the trip in a nutshell. That's the Reader's Digest version. Um, you want to transition over to talking about some psalms? I, uh, I did use a psalm in my message, so let's start there. So I preached on the hope that was in March 23rd and in what, what their hope meant to me from my last trip. So I kind of gave my testimony about the last trip I was there and about how their hope was instilled in me. So Psalms 33, 18 to 22 was um, one of my verses, and it was the first verse in my message. So I'll read that. Psalm 33, 18 to 22. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. 
So the two key verses there are the first one and the last one, because for me, they both talked about hope, and that's kind of was the focus of my message. So then I kind of dug into it a little bit and read through some other things about the verses. We got hope in God's mercy. For the eyes of the Lord are not looking on those trusting in their own strength, those, but those hoping in his mercy. Trust God in his mercies. Put your hope in him and not your own strength. Let your mercy be on us, Lord, as we have hoped in you. And then the Lord is our shield and we place our trust in him. And I told the people there, because Jesus lives inside of you, you can be a shield to your neighbor and to your friend. And I I shared with them how I saw this in how they cared for one another at March 23rd as a community. And I kind of shared the red chicken story about them sharing their food with each other and you know what I had witnessed while I was there. So we've been working and teaching on the Psalms and that's kind of like my intro. Um, kind of a little reflection on my trip. But what I really wanted to talk about this week was uh, I got a string of Psalms that relate to different parts of First and Second Samuel, where um, where David was doing different things in his life. So they call these the stories behind the Psalms, and I've picked out a few of them and highlighted them, and then I've actually got a list of other ones, and I was going to have a handout tonight, but I don't. That where you could look these up and study a few more on your own. So the first one is from Psalm uses Psalm fifty nine. And it's 1 Samuel 19.11. 1 Samuel 19.11 says, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will will be killed. And so if you read Psalm 59, which I'm not going to read through it, David speaks of his enemies who want for him in the night. Who wait for him in the night. You know, David was a warrior. This was right after he had done battle. He could have just as easily tried to take things into his own hands, but he didn't. He, he asked God to take care of it for him. And uh, the Lord laughs at David's enemies. David knows that God will defeat his enemies and let him look on in triumph. And in verses 16 and 17, the psalm ends with David's praise for God's strength and love for being his fortress and a place of hope and refuge. David feels like that prayer that he did in the beginning of the psalm in the earlier verses are already being answered. So he's rejoicing and praising at the end because it does turn into a praise psalm at the end. So there's one example. That one was pretty straightforward. The next one wasn't as straightforward. You've got to look at the perspective that they're using. Um, the next one is 1 Samuel 21.13 and Psalm 34. So this is, uh, David is in front of Akash, the king of Gath, and he said, So he changed his behavior before, then, before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. And then it references that this is what Psalm 34. So 
kind of like didn't read my own instructions on this. And I read Psalm 34 and I'm like, it is nothing in here about David being crazy. So I got this, this, this whole thing came to me from a little bookmark I have. It came out of Worship Leader magazine. Well, this is what the opening sentence says. Look more closely at David's Psalms and their corresponding settings as reflected in 1 and 2 Samuel. Reflect on how your own distractions could lead to creative insights for worship. So that's the basis of looking at these. And then I wrote down, most of the time, these psalms are what David did after the event. So if you look at this from that perspective, it made more sense. Um, David, David was happy. He was kind of rejoicing about what happened afterwards. The psalm doesn't really reflect him being crazy, acting crazy. It, it reflects his reaction to that afterwards. Uh, let's see, pick out a couple of verses. Verses 19-22, I felt, gave a brief hint of what David was going through, but otherwise I said it was hard to see the circumstance of the psalm, his circumstance in the psalm. So 34-19-22 Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So I looked at that, and I go, well, that's like the only part of the psalm where David's talking about something happening bad to him that, and what it was doing to those around him. But there's another meaning, because in verse 19 and 20, there's a glimpse of Jesus on the cross. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Well, who's the most righteous? Jesus. Right here, verse 20. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. That's a clear reference to Jesus on the cross that David made while David's talking about his own circumstances that just happened. David, too, kept all his bones from being broken because he got away from the guy who wanted to kill him. Not the same, but very prophetically interesting. Um, I mean, it, it just, David didn't get his bones broken because he escaped. Right. Jesus didn't get his bones broken. He didn't escape. Well, yeah, he did. He, in the, in the, yes, he did. Because he decided to give up the ghost. Right. Because they were actually heading to break his bones. Yes. He realized he was dead. Right. So this is where they didn't take his life, he laid it down. Yes. So he basically chose to die before they broke his bones. Because they were going to. And that was customary of a crucifixion. That was what they did, yeah. So David wrote this psalm perhaps at the lowest point in his life. He was alone. He had to part from Jonathan, his dearest friend. He was being chased by Saul and his paid assassins. He had to run and hide. And this is as he ran and hide in the cave of Adullam. So this was right, it was that journey time is where this was in his life. And um, yet the beautiful sounds of praise were heard echoing in his cavern. 
This is a lesson for all of us as we praise our way out of our difficulties and into his light. So I got another one. I think this is probably the last one that I've got decent notes on. Yeah, it is. 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So now we're in that next chapter. And when his brother and all of his fathers heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was better, bitter in soul gathered to him. That's a wonderful team. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So this is tied to Psalm 142. And Psalm 142 is not that long, so I think I might read it. It's only seven verses. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell him my trouble before him. When my soul, when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. That's verses 1 through 3. David doesn't really hold back here. He's just laying it out there. Verse 4. Look, look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. David is as low and de depressed as he can get here. Kind of like we talked about in the last psalm. Verse 4 again, look to the right and see, there is no, none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains in me, to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. That's verses 5 and 6. David is close to defeat here. He needs the Lord. Verse 7. Beginning of end of verse 6. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. So again, he flips it at the end. Turns it into praise in the midst of his trouble. He's thanking him for what hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Definitely. He's praising him in the moment when the moment isn't there yet. Um, what else do I have on that? I don't have anything else on that one. So, there's about 10 or 12 of these different references where there's verses in First or Second Samuel that describe a situation. And then there's the psalm that was written. Some of your Bibles will say, this psalm is about when David was in the cave of Adullam, but they don't really give you the reference. This, this little cheat sheet I had gave you the references for all those. So I kind of like it because it kind of puts a setting around what you're reading. And it can kind of clue you into your own, your own setting and your own prayer life and your own praises. 
So when you're in your own situation, what are you doing? What are, what are you praying? What are you, how are you positioning yourself to praise for what hasn't happened yet? To rejoice in what you know the Lord is going to do. Um, I really felt like that, that's kind of been a, a little, I've used that little study guide along the way in my life and looked at those Psalms differently. And it just gives you one more way to look at the Psalms and use them in your daily walk. So that's kind of what I had for tonight. Um, if we're going to go one more week, I need some input from the audience. What is your favorite psalm? And we'll, as long as it's not the 119th, and we'll study it next week. Anthony, do you have a favorite psalm? Okay. I mean, there's some key ones we could do. We could do the 23rd. We could do the 91st. You know, 91st is a good one. Is a warfare psalm. Could definitely do 91st psalm and the 23rd. Those are ones that everybody hears. And the Lord is my shepherd. Nobody does. Like 105. Okay. All right, so we'll do 105 and we'll do 91, because 91 is one of my favorites, and I've, and I've battled with it. I've used it, and I've seen it work. Oh, sure, there's a lot there in 105. There's a lot of meat there. All right, we'll go 105 and 91. You don't got nothing else, Anthony? Psalms 50. You have no idea what it's about. Are you going to be here next week? All right. So we're going to do, I don't have a pen on me. 50, 105, and 91. All right. So there we go. 50, 105, and I can remember. I can remember 91. So 150, 105, and 91. So I think that's it for this week. 39 minutes, maybe a little short, but not bad. Um, the border situation in your prayers. There's a lot going on down there. Um, and, I, and there's some good going on down there. And in the midst of everything I saw, you were still able to find joy. You were still able to find happiness and love. So God is definitely at work down there. And um, regardless of what the kings do, as I said, it's our job in prayer and action. It's the church's job to take care of that situation down there. Just like it's the church's job to take care of situations up here that the government's trying to fix. Uh, basically, you know, as, as everyone knows that's in our church, we're doing a community outreach this weekend. Well, I just did four of them in four days in Mexico. We didn't grill any hot dogs, but we did a lot of the same stuff in a different culture. And uh, 
it really is. It's the right way to spread the love of Jesus. It's the right way to, um, to touch the community. So uh, I wish you all well. And uh, thank you for your prayers as I went on my trip. And Friday night prayer at 7 here for preparation for the outreach. And then the outreach is from 10 to 2. And if you're working at it, we'd like you here at 8.30. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church. To know more about us, go to identitychurch.net, where you'll find resources such as a calendar, media, and upcoming events. You may also download an app for your mobile device from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Then from your mobile device, you can hear our messages, read from the Bible, take notes, connect with us on the social media, and even pay your tithe. Again, thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church.